lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Greetings. Welcome to a special edition of the Steve Dace Program here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. My name is Steve Dace. Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, they're here with me as well. If you would like to join us today, the phone number here at the Blaze, 888-900-3393. That's 888-900-3393. Let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. You can Access that via email, steve at stevedace.com. That's how you can email the program. You can like us on Facebook and find us there, facebook.com slash stevedace. Follow us on Twitter at stevedaceshow, parlor at stevedace, and then our new YouTube channel, youtube.com slash stevedace. How many times, gentlemen, have I said my name already in the first two minutes of the show? Not enough. That's always the correct answer. See? I'm all about the coattails, as you know. Skynet is evolving over there. He's learning. He's learning. I like that. Also, if you are a podcast listener, thank you. If you haven't done this yet, please smash that subscribe button. Not, not literally. It's just a expression the cool kids use today. How about click on, click upon the subscribe button, if you wouldn't mind. And leave us a five-star review if you haven't done that yet. You may think, I don't really like your show. Cool, don't lie. Just maybe don't say anything then. You might think, well... Your show's okay, but five stars, really? Really? Yeah, yes. (laughs) Yes. We would never ask you to lie for us, but we certainly would ask you to embellish, exaggerate greatly even. So the more of those five-star reviews we get, the more we get to continue doing this. And we want to thank you to the thousands of you that have left us five-star reviews already. So, gentlemen, I mentioned it is a special edition episode of The Steve Dace Show. We are devoting our entire program today to our Ten Commandments of Political Warfare. These come from my 2014 book, Rules for Patriots, How Conservatives Can Win Again. And when I sat down to write this book, I wanted to write something. You can see the cover we borrowed directly from Saul Alinsky's Rules for Radicals. We just put more of a patriotic spin on it. I I wanted to write... A, a hermeneutical framework for our side. I, I wanted to write how we can do what we believe. But I, I felt like we needed tactics that didn't undermine our principles at the same time. I don't mind fighting to win. Um, I don't even mind playing a little dirty because... Often that's subjective and in the eye of the beholder. I mean, a lot of times if somebody outsmarted you, hey, you fight dirty. No, I'm just better. Okay. I mean, there's some things we objectively know is dirty. Like when Gaylord Perry used to uh, bathe baseballs in Vaseline. We objectively know that's dirty, right? We do. Okay. You know, is blowing on my hand, you know, rubbing the ball. Is it, well, I mean, if I've got, you know, Shoe shine in my hand it is, but if it's just my sweat, it gets me a better grip and maybe a slight edge. Is that really dirty? That's kind of subjective, right? We all know that when they went out to the mound back in the day to figure out how um, Phil Necro was making the the knuckleball dance like that and out of his back pocket, because apparently didn't know that in the 80s they had these things called center field cameras, 
Remember this? Oh, yes. And in his back pocket, he just kind of took the nail file and stuff and kind of tossed it off to the side. Oh, that's so classic. The umpire's standing there. I literally <laughs> yeah. like this and just kind of looks yes. over. Yeah. We know that's objectively dirty. Okay? Right? There are some things that we know are objectively dirty, but you get a little, your hand's a little dirty. Sometimes it's just, I thought of this before you. Okay? But we, we, we can't soil ourselves. We, we believe these principles as conservatives. We want to conserve these values because we think they're virtuous. That they are what's best, what's true, what's beautiful for the human condition east of Eden. So there's, there's no point in soiling ourselves to advocate for these values because we end up undermining them at the exact same time. Does that mean there are some things that I believe we can't do that the other side believes they can do? Yeah, it does mean that. It does. And so I think, though, it's incumbent upon me that if I'm going to make that claim, I better come up with some clever, strategic, tactically aware principles that undergird our, our values instead of undermining them and how do we advance them. And so one day I had um, a first-time candidate who was running for Secretary of State here in Iowa reach out to me and he was like, yeah, I love your show, man. Listen every day. I hear a lot about, you know, pl uh, political, tactical stuff on your show all the time. And if you were running my campaign, I mean, I, I knew him. You know, he had been on my show. I had vetted him. It wasn't like it was somebody that I hadn't vetted and he asked me, you know, for my take. And I'm like, sure, you know, here's all my trade secrets. Okay. He's like, if you were running my campaign, what advice would you give me? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to sit on that for a bit and think about it. And I just started jotting a few things down. And that led to a few other things and a few other things. And then I got to like eight and I'm like, you know, that's kind of where the marketing mind kicks in. You know, if I can stretch this out to 10, I can build this as like a, Political Ten Commandments kind of a thing, you know? So I came up with two more. I then watched him use several of these principles successfully, pull a huge upset in winning the party nomination for Secretary of State, and then pull off an even bigger upset in actually winning the general election that year. And I thought, you know, I think I'm on to something. So I started sharing these tactics and principles with more people around the country, they agreed, hey, there's some valuable stuff here. And so I put them all together in one book, endorsed by President Donald Trump. He wasn't president at the time. Now, how did I get his endorsement? Well, he greatly at this time wanted mine, <laughs> all right? And so I, I, I sent him an email, and I'm like, will you endorse my book? Here's what it's about. He emailed me back. Tell you what, you write the endorsement, which you wanted to say. And if I'm okay with it, we'll just go with that. I said, okay. So I wrote the endorsement that President Trump gave this book, sent it to him, email back, looks good. And the endorsement on the back of the book is actually the one I wrote. <laughs> you do like you some me. <laughs> yes. I thought, hey, man. If I'm going to have Donald Trump endorse this thing, I'm going all the way with it, right? 
and I can't, I haven't looked at it in a while, but I mean, I think he calls me like a future star and all this kind of stuff. Huh. I mean, I mean, I, I, I laid it on pretty thick, but he was totally okay with it, you know? So <laughs> do I look like the kind of guy? Yeah. 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 I do like the kind of guy that would be desperate enough to do something like that. But anyway, he wasn't alone. A, a lot of conservative luminaries at the time mm -hmm. endorsed this book from across the spectrum. People at groups from club for growth to the American family association, the kinds of groups that sometimes find themselves at odds with each other during GOP primary politics. So we had a wide swath of support for this book. So we thought it was time then to memorialize these Ten Commandments with their own show. Walk through all ten of them with some practical and contemporary, as best as we can, um, some practical and contemporary applications of these principles. Are you guys ready to go? Yeah. Now, just like the real Ten Commandments, these are in a certain order, too. There's a hierarchy of values to these as well, meaning if you don't do the first couple of these right, it doesn't matter how good you are at commandments 8, 9, or 10, you're dead, Jim, okay? Similar to, it doesn't matter if you never stole anything from anybody, if you don't know there's only one God and you made yourself a fake God, you end up in hell just the same, okay, right? So these are in a certain order. They're not just randomly sequenced. Here is the very first of my 10 commandments of political warfare. Never, and I mean never, Trust Republicrats. Now, what is a Republicrat? Let me tell you what it's not. It's not another name for Rhino, Republican in name only. It's not what it means. We all know what Rhinos are, right? It's the Republican in some deep blue state, usually like Massachusetts, Mitt Romney, New Jersey, Chris Christie, California, okay? It, it's usually the Republican in a deep blue state who probably wasn't, wasn't a good enough politician to get on the blue team. Has virtually all the same beliefs that they have, just isn't as radicalized about it, right? Like, he only wants drag queen story time hour like once a month at the library and, and no kids under the fourth grade. As opposed to... Every day, and we bring preschoolers in, right? It's that, that kind of guy, right? We, and often they have, like, one legit conservative fetish. Like, Chris Christie just hates teachers' unions, and yes. everybody's like, yeah! Yeah, and that gives him the soundbite yeah. of legitimacy, yes. right? Right, there you go, okay. Um, but we, we all know who these people are. They are in a deep blue state. They weren't good enough to get on the blue team. They realized, dude, man, better to reign in hell, better to, you know, rule in hell than serve in heaven, right? Okay. And so they're like, I might as well go over here to the red team. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm first chair over here on the B squad, right? And then every now and then when the environment's really bad for Democrats, like a Tea Party wave or something, they can get elected to a statewide office and, and, and we're off, okay? We all know who those people are. I'm not warning you about them. Everybody sees the wolf. Chris Christie, I think, got the same amount of delegates in his presidential run that I received. I didn't run. <laughs> all right? We all see the wolf. No, no. I am here to warn you today about the wolf in sheep's clothing. The Republican, I remember I was at CPAC one year, and they still let me in. And, I'm, and Mitch McConnell comes walking by me in the crowd, waving an AR-15 in the air. 
And how many times you think old ditch leaves that suburban DC brownstone that costs probably a month with Todd, your mortgage is in a year. How many times do you think him and old Elaine Chow are like, honey, you know what we're doing today? I, I know you were thinking croquet, right? I, I know we've got a, a, a lunch over at the Capitol Hill Club, which, by the way, I've ate there. Some of the best food I've had in my life, by the way. Okay. We got a lunch at the Capitol Hill Club with some K Street lobbyists. They're going to make us richer and richer and richer. But let's put all that off. Pack up the AR-15s and head to the Ralph Northam Ranch. How often do you think Old Ditch does that? Not very. Think that's a good answer. I think it's more likely Elaine Chow is doing that by herself than yes. Ditch is going out with her. Yeah, that's their that's that's how you know that's how they get kinky. That's their 50, 50 shades of AR fifteen. Okay. Yeah, he's not firing those guys. Okay, but he but he's got a southern brawl. He's from Kentucky about three days a year. All right. And so he knows the he knows the lingo. He knows what you want to hear. He's got enough. He's got enough red in him that he can at least talk it. So he comes in. If Chris Christie comes in waving an AR-15, the crowd at CPAC is like that one gift. <laughs> I mean, that's what the crowd is doing. Okay. When the guy from Kentucky comes in doing it, though, at first you're like, is that Mitch McConnell? Like, yeah, yeah, man, he's one of us. He's from Kentucky. I knew it. See? See, this is the game. These guys have consultants that teach them what are your buzz phrases, buzz words? What's the itch that you need to scratch on a particular issue? What needs to be said? Every election year, they break it out. Then when they go up there to govern, it's like the Democrats won except for maybe a couple times a year where the Democrats are so far left and it's out in the open that they force the Republicans to hold firm on something. But make no mistake, it is not because these Republicrats wanted to hold firm. It's just that if they did not, the whole scam of their, their whole Republicrat scam would get blown up. And so they have to. They don't have a choice. That's the vast majority of Republicans you have sent to Washington in your career as a voter. That's why a lot of them say the cool stuff you want to hear on the campaign trail and maybe even say it credibly. Because the Republicrat knows how to get elected in Kentucky. John Cornyn in Texas. Lamar Alexander when he was in Tennessee. They, they know... They're sons of the South. They know what you want to hear down there. They get it. They tell you what you want to hear. You dutifully vote for Lindsey Graham's gender dysphoria again. And then he just runs off to Washington and votes like he's the Democrat senator from Connecticut instead. No. If you fail this commandment, it doesn't matter what your opinion is of the other nine. You have aligned yourself, if this was a soccer team, with a bunch of players who are going to score own goals. They're going to score goals in your net. 
If this were a basketball team, you would be dribbling down the court as the point guard towards your rim. They would take the ball from you, dribble to the other side, and lay it in over and over and over and over again. It doesn't matter how many sets you have. It doesn't matter how many lineup combinations you have. If somebody on your team keeps scoring points, baskets for the other side, you cannot win. That's why this is the very first commandment, gentlemen. Was there a person or issue battle or uh, electoral window, a particular election that crystallized this for you? I mean, I know you, you've always had like yes. a spidey sense, but when this became the this is number one, this is yes. gospel now. Great question. I read a story over at CNS News, which doesn't get as much pub as it used to because there's a lot more conservative news sites now, but it's still a pretty good little conservative news site. I think it was started by Terry Jeffrey, who was like Pat Buchanan's lead political guy. Um, but th- I had read a story over at C- CNS News that that 2010, those House Republicans we voted in in 2010. So the first Tea Party wave, there were two Tea Party waves, 2010 and 2014, okay? So this is when the Tea Party was raging hot before all the, this is before, see the grifters were in here by 2014. But the grifters weren't, hadn't taken control of the process in 2010 yet because it was just happened in 2009. It was all still organic, okay? So this very first batch of candidates that we had gotten elected in 2010, I had read a story in CNS News that found they, they, were, they were, so the Republicans are now in control of the House. They don't have the Senate yet, but they have the House. Boehner's in charge. All these new Tea Party people come in. It's the, it's the highest spending House of Representatives, in American history. And in fact, it had it had almost spent more than all the houses of representatives in American history combined. So that is what I had read. Yeah. It's Boehner. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Aaron, your thoughts on the first commandment. Yes. Uh, so never. So as you just described, you just talked about what Republicans are. <laughs> uh, never. Um, and this will come up uh, uh, at least once more, never means, it comes from the Greek word, meaning never, okay? Trust, what do we mean? What do you mean by trust, Steve? Do you mean like, you know, trust with uh, what the top marginal tax rate should be on uh, billionaires and uh, trillionaires? Trust with how many times, you know, what, what the jaywalking, federal jaywalking mandate should be? No, trust like these people mm-hmm. are lying to you about who they are, whether by omission or by commission. It doesn't really matter. Their actions show that they're lying. Don't trust them. Don't trust them with like anything, like anything. I mean, like anything. I, I never trust Republicans. Those are absolutes. Each one of those words are absolutes. Unless there's something you can think of that you can trust somebody who tells you that they're going to uh, go to Washington to do X, Y, and Z, and instead do Z, Y, and X. Yes. See, if I won election and got to test my theory about going to D.C. and seeing just how the sausage is made and how I how it would last, I would have cards printed with number one through ten. And so, like, if Ditch came up to talk to me, I'd just hand him number one right away. There you go. <laughs> now, now, let's make sure you don't read what I didn't say either. Okay? I didn't say never to vote for these people. I can understand, particularly in the time period in which we live. I, I did this in the 2018 midterms. I went and voted for a bunch of Republicans. I can't stand. Um, I understand that there, there are times now where the lines are very clearly drawn and the direction that 
we're, that, that one side clearly wants to take us. The, I, I get that there is some strategy involved in, in trying to throw as many orange cones and speed bumps and obstacles in the way of that to slow it down for as long as you possibly can. I, I'm not, I do think there are times you're better off. Like, I think if you lived in the state of Maryland during COVID, you'd have been better off with a Democratic governor. Because at least when they tried to go full lockdown, Larry Hogan, you could amass the, the resistance to oppose that. But when it was the Republican, you're divided against yourselves because you're looking at each other like, well, we don't want the Democrats to win. And then the other group is like, well, who cares if the Democrats win? We already got one right now. He's just called her. And you fight each other. Okay. So I think there's definitely times if they're going to suck, if they're going to be total douche canoes, you're better off with the Democrat wearing that label because then you can organize and rally against it for the next election. But I understand on a national level, when we're talking about judicial nominees and things of that nature, you're like, you might be like, Dace, I know Mitch McConnell sucks ball sweat. I know it. Okay. On a hot Arizona summer day, I get it. But I might get two out of 10 judicial nominations out of him that are good. And those two could render, you know, life-affirming precedents that last for 10 to 20 years, I'm probably going to go 0 for 10 with Democrats in charge of the Senate, right? I get that. I'm, I'm not saying not to think that way. So th I didn't say don't vote for Republicrats. I said don't trust them. Don't send these people up there and then say, you guys got it. I can go back to my... Nope. 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 Don't. What is the Greek word for nope? Nope. <laughs> Don't. You cannot trust these people on any level at all. All right. Next commandment we're going to get to. Commandment number two. Never attack what you're not willing to kill. For you will get no credit for showing restraint later on. My goodness. If, if there is the first commandment is one that we as conservative voters violate way too often. The second commandment is one that the Republicans we vote into office violate way too often. And maybe it's human nature. I mean, the spirit of Neville Chamberlain. Hey, we gave up the Sudetenland, peace in our time. It's all good here. There is a tendency in the Republican Party to think if I if I just give them 80% of the rot gut, 50% of the rot gut, they won't, Rachel Maddow won't call me a, a homophobe tonight. And Don Lemon won't call me a racist tonight. Not true. Nope. It's a hundred or nothing, man. It's either you slit, here's the deal. You slit your throat or we slit it for you. Which would you prefer? That is the deal. I think back to the, the riots in the summer of 2020. And the very beginning stages of the Black Lives Matter riots. Not the Antifa ones, the BLM ones. And in our own backyard... There was a national story when the, and I, I gave our police captain credit at the time. There was a national story when our local police captain helped stop rioting and looting here in Des Moines 
when him and the Des Moines Police Department agreed that the the death of George Floyd was unjust from the perspective of there was no reason for the cop to kneel on his neck for nine minutes. And so they knelt down in deference to the death of George Floyd and it dispersed the crowd, right? And there was some talk. This became a national story that night. That clip went viral. And there was some talk the next day or two that maybe this would be the way to quell the fears of where these protests could ultimately go. And to be fair, there were isolated cases of people who were just earnestly upset at what had happened with George Floyd, and they were satisfied that you showed that they were shown that empathy. There were, and our city was one of those places. There were isolated cases where that was that was true. But as we went a, a, a few more days into this, another week or two into this, what did we begin to see? You you had to then kneel constantly. You had to kneel for everything. And if you didn't kneel for everything, they'd come up to you at restaurants, bars. Remember the clips you saw at that time? People being accosted while they're having a drink, while they're having a dinner. Rochester, New York, where they literally stormed into a restaurant, started overturning tables, kneel right there. That it was very clear that for every isolated pocket of whether you agree with it or not, but I guess a legit grievance. That could, and because it came from some form of a legit place, it could be satisfied with a legitimate show of empathy. For every few of those we saw, systemically, what did we see? Systemically, we saw that this wasn't so much anger about the particular case of George Floyd, but how do we use what happened to George Floyd to further our agenda? And our agenda is a racialist agenda. And you can't, you can't ever get up from your knees. Stay down. And if we learned anything in the Trump years, it was, you really can't meet these people halfway on anything. I tried early on. You know, I, I tried early on based on his impressive resume of service to the Republic to give the Mueller probe a fair shot early on, even though that probably wasn't the best career move I've ever made. But I, I, I wanted to operate with as much integrity in that process as I could. At the end, what did we learn? It was a scam basically from the very beginning. It just was. And so I think moving forward on the right, in the era to come, hopefully, I don't think there's too many constructive lessons you can learn from the Trump era. Because I think a lot of it's been reactionary. Orange man bad versus Cheeto Jesus saves, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. But you know what one constructive lesson you can learn? from Donald Trump is he doesn't really ever violate this commandment. If anything, he won't take dead for an answer. <laughs> All right. He just keeps uh, red rum, red rum. Red. It's, it's dead Jim. Okay. I mean, but, and, and you've seen, and you saw in his political success overcoming a 25 man field for the primary 
winning the presidency, you saw him overcome the odds by, of all the commandments we're going to go over in this, in, in this show, this was the one he gave the most fealty to. That he left nothing to chance and realized, I'm going to get all this blowback anyway, so I might as well deliver a blow or two on my way towards receiving it to try to offset some of the blowback I'm going to get, right? And this really comes down to who do you think your core audience is? Do you think your core audience is the media? Or do you think your core audience are your constituents? If you think your core audience is the media, you're going to violate this commandment all the time, trying to figure out how much, how much conservative can I give people and not be called any of those magic words. If you think your core audience are your voters, you have a totally different perspective on that. Thoughts? Well, and Trump, I, just really quickly, I think his, his mistake is he replaces what with who. He just is, gets entirely personal. It's important that you didn't use that word. You used to use what. Ultimately, this thing is about ideas. And mm-hmm. you have, we need to be merciless about the ideas Agreed. because they're non-negotiable. I mean, that's abundantly clear now. That's a great point. We, are, we, we practice mercy where people are concerned. Where people are concerned, mercy triumphs over judgment. Where ideologies are concerned, there is no mercy. More in a moment. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network. back here on a special edition of the Steve Day Show, looking at the Ten Commandments of Political Warfare, as authored by yours truly. We started off with number one, never trust Republicrats, and of course defined what a Republicrat is and is not. And then number two, never attack what you're not willing to kill, ever. Okay? You'll get no credit for showing any restraint. You're going to get called every name in the book anyway. So you might as well go ahead and pile up some casualties for the other team while you're at it, all right? So this brings us now to commandment number three. Never accept the premise of your opponent's argument. Now, before I delve into this one a little further, I want to know what you guys think of this commandment. Well, this is... uh when I talk to people about how journalism is magical and not at all broken, uh, a lot of conversations, when they ask me about how to understand a journalist, well, I said, you know, and, and certainly as it relates to politicians or having political conversations, I said, it, it's unbelievable. There's like, it's some sort of siren song that j- just because a politician asks the question, it has to be answered on, on its face without any codicils, or you have failed somehow. Uh, it, it's one of the darndest things I've ever seen happen 
cycle after cycle. It never fails, especially mm-hmm. the the newbie. I don't know, maybe because they 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 think it's their job to go into politics right out of the gate, no matter which tribe you're in, and be nice. What a bizarre thing to think in the realm of politics. And and I know personally, this is one of the earliest things I also learned uh, in argumentation that I mean, you were instantly slitting your own throat if you if you tried to play the game this way yeah it, it one of the one of the most poignant and recent memory examples was back during the start of the of the pandemic um and during really the whole pandemic and that seems like um it still seems like yesterday but also feels like you know so so far away now but it always seemed like, well, we should only lock down for uh, two weeks. But no, no, I think we should lock down for five weeks or six weeks. And uh, we should only have a, uh, a, a cap of 250 people indoor spaces. Uh, no, and we should only have, no, I think we should have a cap of 150 people in, in indoor spaces. It's stuff like this. The premise, you're starting with the premise that lockdowns work. You're starting with the premise that there is some magical number where transmission of uh, any virus won't take place. It's those types of things. And this is how we lose on every single on every single issue. Conservative media does this, especially during election season, um, you know, during normal times, weekly, during election season, every single day. By even by even uh, responding to what the leftist media puts out there, you are you are accepting whatever premise they're espousing by just reacting to it. That's what conservative media does all the time. Just responding, reacting to whatever uh, distraction the uh, left-wing mainstream media puts out there, you are tacitly accepting the premise of your opponent's argument by even showing it the light of day. And you you allow them, by accepting their premise, to be comfortable, to Mm -hmm. define... All of the terms. I do this all the time with Catholics who will come at me with something that is so obviously uncatholic in its explicit nature, its mm-hmm. doctrine, and they 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 used to like this is just a soup we have to accept. Now I can't ex- I can't talk the same way even to you guys for the sake of argument uh, as uh, Protestant Christians, and I certainly can't talk to pagans that way. But within my own tribe. You know, I'll just say you're, you're you may as well not be Catholic. Why are you even, and instantly you you unmoor them from their comfortability and that gives you an advantage. Argumentation has rules like any other contest has. And the chief rule of argumentation is this. Whoever's premise is permitted to be insta- is, is permitted to be established will win the argument. It's just a, he might win. He might win it right at that moment. It may take more layers of argumentation, but once one side's premise has been established, they are going to win the argument. I don't think I've ever asked you something. You should explicitly say what is a premise. It is the basis by which a belief, a fact, a statement, argument, opinion is being asserted. It's the basis of belief behind that. Okay, because because we are we are incapable as a species of objectivity. We can strive for it, right? Like similar to how we're incapable as a species of being morally pure. 
we should strive to make the best moral decisions we can still make, but we're, none of us are going to be morally pure, correct? Yeah. Similarly, we should strive for objectivity while realizing, though, that it's probably not going to happen because we're subjective creatures by nature. We bring our biases, opinions into the, in, in, into the realm with us. And we should strive to set them aside, but as best we can. But that key point there is as best we can. And if the premise is about the self-actualization and free expression of adults who want to dress like somebody of the opposite gender in public, they're going to win the argument. If the premise is about what corrupts young people and is a bad influence on them, we're going to win the argument, right? If the premise is about um, how that guy who went in and shot up that school get his gun, they're going to win the argument. If the premise is about, hey, when, when, when danger's at your door, the police are minutes away, what, how are you going to defend yourself from a home invasion? How's that young woman on a college campus going to defend herself from a sexual assault? Just going, We win that argument. Which premise are we arguing? And for most of my career, even to this day, now it's not as bad as it was when I wrote this book, but even to this day, we often argue the premise of their, of their arguments. We, we, we accept their lingo. In conservative media, we will use terms like transgendered. It's a made-up term like Palestinian. There's no such thing as a transgendered person. It doesn't exist. There's only been two people. God declared it. Male or female. Why, why do the editors at the Associated Press or any conservative website believe, for that matter, believe that they have discovered a third variation of the species that the creator has already endowed? Well, we do it because we're afraid, frankly, at places like The Blaze, we're afraid we'll get banned. We'll get banned from all the social media platforms we need to get our message out. So we conform. That's why we do it. It's why everybody does it. Fox, Daily Wire, all of them. But understand that we are assenting to a premise then. At the very least, we got to find another way to make the argument. If you, if you don't want to deny transgenderism because you're afraid of getting a blanket social media ban, okay, then I wouldn't, though, affirm it either. So when you see me write columns about it, I won't use the term. I'll talk about gender dysphoria, things of that nature. I'm not going to grant the premise of this argument at all. Because if I grant the premise that people can be transgendered, I've lost the argument. I've lost the argument. You did this on local television here with Dan Winters, right? Yeah, yeah. who's who nobody in our audience is going to know who that right. is. But, but you did it Yeah, here. but he's been a local news guy for quite some time. This was about 10 years ago now. Yeah. And um, he tried to ask me a whole bunch of questions about homosexuality. And he asked me, first thing he asked me was, do I think gays ought to be able to openly serve in the military? And this was one of those hot seat interviews where they can ask you anything they want. And I think he thought he was going to get the jump on me. And he kind of thought wrong. Um, hey, do you think gays should be able to openly serve in the military? I said, I, I think all men and women who can uh, reach or meet the physical 
um, qualifications to serve and can abide by and live by the Uniform Code of Military Justice should be allowed to serve their country. And he paused and he was like, what about gays and lesbians? I repeated the same exact answer. When I asked you about gays and lesbians, I said, Dan, I, I only know of two types of people, men and women. I mean, if, if you've discovered a third subset of our species, a third phylum, a third uh, of, of, of homo sapien, by all means, dude, you've, you've, you're on the scientific discovery of the century. I told him that right on live television. Yeah. And he didn't know what to say. So he goes, well, uh, do you have any uh, friends or family members that are gay? Now, I had no idea that the whole interview was going to be about gay. <laughs> I didn't know. Okay. And I looked at him and I said, well, Dan, I don't, I don't make it a practice to find out what everybody in my life is doing in the privacy of their own bedroom amongst consenting adults. Do you? I mean, how would I know that? It was so important that this was on television and not just radio because yes. you could see this. He was just like twitching and what is happening? Somebody took that clip and put it up on uh, and shared it around the country because I got emails from some conservative honchos all over America who saw this clip at the time. It was back in, I think, 2011, 2012, somewhere in, in that time period. But um, it is this principle. Yeah. Exactly. I'm just not accepting the premise of and, and yet that does that can make me excruciating to debate. So. That's the penalty you get for debating me, then. Why do you think I have to assent to all of your premises? Especially when they invite you. Yes. I went through a situation with a buddy of mine a few years ago who's on the other side of the political aisle. And he was getting a bunch of heat from some of his friends and contemporaries about what I had said on a particular subject. And, you know, one of these left-wing media fake watchdog groups took the clip, cut it up, sends it out, you know, to get clicks off of me, basically. And this gets this penetrates his ecosystem with his friends, and his friends are all losing their minds, and he thinks he's got to personally disavow me and all this kind of stuff. And I shot back at him. I said, dude, you know how many times I've seen you post just stupid shit? On your, on your, on your, on your page. C-H-I-T. And stuff I find offensive, I don't think is factually accurate. I never said a word. It's your page. Post what you want. I'm your friend anyway. It, there was silence on the other end of the phone. Because the idea that he was not the only one intended to be offended or entitled to be offended at an opinion mm -hmm. that he didn't share had never dawned on him because no one had ever forced him to consider it. So no, I don't accept the premise of your argument ever on anything. And that means we sit here and argue for an hour on the premise before we even get to the argument you wanted to have, have a better premise. Then that's not my fault. It's yours. But here's the thing. If I believed in your premise, then I would agree with you. But since I don't believe in your premise, I don't. If I believed Muhammad was a prophet, if I accepted that premise, what would it make me? Islam. Yeah, I'd be, a, I'd be a Muslim. But, but I don't agree that Muhammad was a prophet. I don't believe the angel Gabriel spoke to Muhammad. I believe he spoke to no one or a demon. I don't believe that he spoke to the angel Gabriel in a cave. I don't. So I don't really need to debate anything else. I don't need to go back and forth between the Quran and the scriptures or the Hadith 
and the Bible or any other catechismal book or, or creed. I don't need to do any of that because right from the beginning, I don't agree with your premise. Paul writes in the New Testament that if Christ isn't raised, our teaching and preaching is in vain. We're all still dead in our sins. The whole premise is, did Jesus walk out of the cave or not? Did he walk out of the tomb? If they didn't roll the stone away on the third day, man, that wasn't the first hit by the rolling stones right there. Okay? You know, I'm no longer under your thumb. Give me shelter. If that wasn't their first hit right there, then the this rest of this is pointless. There's no need to debate. Well, what are your views on the contemporary constructs of slavery and Philemon compared to a first century understanding? I don't need to know what the hell a Philemon is if Jesus didn't walk out of the tomb. That's the premise, right? Yeah. What's the premise? Bring me back to the premise because that's what this is all really about. Everything else is just in the weeds or irrelevant. What is the premise? And the premise is what matters most. Don't accept their premise on anything. Because if they shared your premise, they would think what you think. If you want to share their premises, God bless you. Then believe what they believe. So I, I don't, it, it frustrates me to no end to see conservative media. Why do we use terms like pro-choice? They're not pro-choice. They don't call us pro-life activists in the Associated Press. We're anti-reproductive, anti-abortion activists. So if we're pro-lifers, then what are they? Anti-lifers. Why aren't they called anti-lifers at every conservative media outlet? Why do we accept their lingo and premise on anything? Anything. Now, we spent an inordinate amount of time in one hour on just the first three of these. Why? Because they are by, they're not even, it's not even close. They're the three most important ones. If I don't know who I can trust, if I don't know what it will take to defeat the enemy, and if I don't know what the argument that I'm really having with my enemy is really all about, what chance do I have in politics to be successful? Unless your idea of success is, I, I become a hack. And there's plenty of people that do that. You know, you're going to find the biggest difference between politicians is not ideology. Is one politician runs for office to do something, and the other politician runs for office to be somebody. That's really the biggest difference. Not Republicans and Democrats. Not even conservatives and liberals. Are they running to do something, or are they running to be somebody? That's the difference. So if you're running to be somebody... You don't need any of these tactics. You just need to open your hand, get that palm creased. Now, if you're running to do something, and if you want the people that you're voting for that you think are running to do something to be successful, you need these tactics. And the reason we spend an entire hour on the first three is because, man, if you do not ace these first three, what we're going to talk about here in hour two can't help you. You've already lost. Three down, seven more to go. Next. You're listening to Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.
lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Day Show. Back with hour two of a special edition of the Steve Day Show here on Blaze TV radio podcast. Hopefully wherever you are, whenever you are, you're having a great day. Thank you for spending some of it here with us on the Steve Day Show. That would be me alongside Todd Erzin and Aaron McIntyre. We mentioned today is a special edition, but all of the other logistical details are what you're uh, what you're used to. 888-933-93, that's the number. Steve at stevedace.com is how you email us, D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show, Parlor at Steve Dace. Check out our podcast page as well. And if you are a podcast subscriber, make sure that you leave us a five-star review if you like the show. Thank you to all of you that did that already for us. Keep making sure you click that subscribe button too. And then finally, check out our new YouTube page at youtube.com slash Steve Dace. That's youtube.com slash Steve Dace. Well, for our special edition today, we are spending the entire show going over my 10 commandments of political warfare. We spent the entire hour of hour one on the first three. Never trust Republicans. Know who you're aligned with, who your enemy is. Number two, never attack what you're not willing to kill. What are the rules of engagement here? I need to know that in any, in any war theater. And then number three, never accept the premise of your opponent's argument. Whoever's premise is established in an argument is always going to win the argument. And the reason we spent an entire hour on those first three, as I said before, we closed out hour one. Folks, if we don't master these three, everything else we're about to talk about is absolutely irrelevant. Just like in the real Ten Commandments. If you don't know, there's only one God. You make up fake gods. Okay, you didn't steal, but you're in hell anyway. Okay. Gentlemen, have any thoughts on those three before we move on, what we've done so far? Well, the first two combined are why very often in my life I've started out conversations, and particularly this is with people that I, I don't know as well. Like I, I honestly ask them, are you sure you really want to go forward with this conversation? <laughs> I'm warning really, them. Warning yeah, them yeah. to come. Because I yeah. mean it's because I believe in doing this for real. And I'm I've, in my experience, a lot of people I talk with don't. So it's not going to, I'm not going to get upset. If you get upset, it's not going to bother me at all. And you're the one who brought it up almost always. Like they, they start it. I said, okay. I mean, if you want to. Aaron. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think the, uh, the second one, never attack what you're not willing to kill. That's, I think I think that's where a lot of people run run into their first bugaboo because they're willing to. Uh, this sounds like a terrible analogy, but you know how uh, you know how children, how little kids, and I know this because I've, you know, uh, not too long ago playing with uh, with a few of my nieces and nephews, and they are not they are not big enough to go and attack you full bore. You know, when you're roughhousing, they'll kind of throw a little punch and then run away and then come right back. That, that's usually what we do in political warfare. It's kind of like uh, chucking a few rocks and then not really doing anything mm -hmm. else afterwards. And so that's, that's, I think, where, that, that's, I think, where a lot of people run into the first bugaboo. 
you know, go full measure, Walter White. Awesome scene from Breaking Bad, where uh, one of where, where the henchman uh, Mike Armantrout, the henchman for the big bad in uh, the first few seasons, he comes and he visits Walter White, who's doing some some work for him on the side. And uh, Mike Armantrout tells Walter White, "No half measures. Always go for the full." measure always make sure you leave some bodies if you if you are if you go through with something if you attack something go through with it all the way through and i know a lot of people will think Gosh, that sounds hard well it's it's awkward at first when you don't do it but i promise you once you start doing it it makes it way easier yep yep all right let's get to commandment number four as we continue on with the 10 commandments for political warfare never surrender the moral high ground never all right the high ground is key it's over anakin i have the high ground the high ground is key in any battle it gives you a, a tremendous strategic advantage especially in the arena of ideas and really in warfare in general i would argue throughout human history wars have ultimately been won by the side that had the most conviction in the rightness of its cause. Yes, we have utilitarian, soulless, ruthless conquerors throughout history, right? But eventually what usually happens to the conquerors? They get conquered. Somebody comes along who's like, you know what, I think I'm better at this than you. In fact, I'm, I'm convicted in this belief enough that I'll meet you out on the battlefield. There's a great story about Alexander the Great. As he was getting ready to conquer the media, the 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 the, the, the uh, Persian Empire, and he sends, or no, it was sent to him. Um, I think it was Artaxerxes of the Medio Persian Empire sent Alexander a messenger. And and he said, hey. Isn't that because it was the it's the ruler in 300 is who was about to be conquered. The one that in, that is Artaxerxes in the movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That was the one that in, in history, Alexander is about to conquer. And this is the this is the last great empire for him to slay. And he's basically at the age of 25 when, when he gets done here. He's going to control what we know of the world at that point. And so Artaxerxes sends him a messenger ahead of his army and says, why are we fighting? We are the two most powerful men in the world. Let's just end this. It's pointless. There's enough spoils to go around. Let's sign a pact. We split it all 50-50, and you can have your choice amongst my daughters of who you wish to marry. And Alexander sent a messenger back to Artaxerxes saying, why would I negotiate with you for what's already mine anyway. And when I get to Susa, I'll decide for myself how many of your daughters I wish to marry, if any of them. Now that is an example of what I'm talking about. We surrender the moral high ground way too often. Back to what I just said a minute ago, or a few minutes ago last hour on pro-life messaging. I should never pick up life news and read the phrase pro-choice politician. It just should never happen. Never. 
would what I don't I don't even know what the news arm of of Planned Parenthood is. Well, yeah, I do. ABC, CBS, <laughs> there you go. NBC. See what I did there? Okay. I mean, they make it look like the March for Life. How many hundreds of thousands of people are there in January every year in DC? You might as well called your rally that wrecked them barely knew them. It's like it doesn't exist unless Donald Trump says something about it, right? How many years and years and years and years do they just ignore this thing? Because they feel like they have the moral high ground. Because their premise is life only matters if we, if it matters to me. So they're not going to surrender the moral high ground to you. They're not going to give you an audience to call them baby killers. They're not going to give you an audience to show people sonograms if they can avoid it. So then why would you give them an audience for their viewpoint? If I'm going to Life or Life Site News, man, I, I should never see the term pro-choice. I shouldn't even see the term pro-abortion, by the way. I shouldn't even see that term. I mean, abortion sounds like, you know, a tonsillectomy. No, man, I got this growth in my abdomen, just going in for some outpatient. They're going to get rid of it, get an abortion. It'll be in and out in a few hours. It's all good, like nothing. You call it an abortion when you think it's an unviable tissue mass. What do you call it when it's a human? Life. I mean, if you're Life News or Life Site News, you don't call yourself the anti-abortion website, do you? Do no. they call themselves that? No. What do they call themselves? What kind of websites? Pro-life websites, right? Yes. So if you're a pro-life website, then what must the opposite of your viewpoint be? Pro-death. Pro-death or anti-life. Yes. We should use terms like pro-death, pro-murder, anti-life. Should be all over conservative media. All over pro-life media. Term pro-abortion, pro-choice should never be used. The term abortion should never be used. These are child killings. That's what they are. We're killing children. At least that's what I think they are, right? Yes. If we weren't killing children, then why? If in any other, in, in almost any other context, when it didn't lead to the death of a life, would you be in favor, Todd, of the government telling someone what they, what they could do with their own person? No. No. Unless it led to the, the, the end of another's life or property, you don't think they have any right to do that, right? By and large, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. So then the only reason we want to restrict this particular procedure is we believe it does what? Prevents murder. Yeah. So then why would we call it by the name they gave it? If, if we think these are child killings, you know what we should call them? Child killings. That's what we should call them. I mean, if, if when, when a child gets kidnapped from his home, we don't call it um, an undeveloped homo sapien uh, kidnapping. We say that child's been kidnapped. Why do we give them any high ground at all? Why? There's no good answer to this, is there? Nope. No, we give up the moral high ground all the time. At the time I was writing Rules for Patriots, we did it daily with the Obamacare debate. Republicans made almost their entire argument predicated on, we can't afford Obamacare, it'll bankrupt us. 
Well, then does that mean if, if, if we were in the black and not in the red, does that mean single payer healthcare now is a good, is constitutional? Does that mean a piece of legislation that told nuns that if they didn't want, or, and Christian colleges, if they didn't want to pay for abortions, they had to do what God says is wrong or face the wrath of government, would that make it more moral than if we could afford it? Which argument do you think is going to win, guys? The argument that looks at the single mom working two jobs to feed three kids and says, by hook or by crook, her and her kids need health care. Or the argument that looks at that single mom and her three kids, or two ki- three kids she's working two jobs to provide for and says, we can't afford it. Which argument do you think wins? The hooker by crook. The hooker by crook, because they're the ones with the moral high ground. You're making a process-based argument. And then then it becomes, then once you do that, then it becomes about the credibility of the of the person advocating the process. Oh, okay, so rich white guy, business owner. It's okay. I mean, I, I get it. You can't afford another 10% of your taxes of your seven-figure salary so that single moms can have health care. We get it. You just hate women, right? Right. Who's going to win that argument? So we give up the moral high ground on, on every issue other than guns. I, I cannot think of another issue in my career that we have held the moral high ground other than guns. I mean, we went through a period of time where we were trying to find conservative trans people to put on websites and networks. And I finally just said, I'm, Screw that noise. Not on my watch. Not. Nope. Not doing that. Or you'll be doing it without me. I can tell you that. I'm not doing that. No, I'm not doing, I'm not conserving mental illness. I didn't get into this business to conserve mental illness, and I'll be getting out of it if that's what the business now is. But thank you. So hard pass and not no, but no, not happening. But thank you. Thanks. Kind of like the Russia COVID-19 vaccine. <laughs> think I'm going to not inject a Russian vaccine into my body for a virus with a 99.7% documented survival rate. But dunk a shame nonetheless. Okay. But, Unless it's going to make me the winter soldier. No, thanks. Yeah. Not happening. Thoughts on that commandment, gentlemen? Well, you'll still hear people talk about, well, yeah, you just can't legislate morality when... You know, if you still believe that when that's the only thing the other side is trying to legislate, it's not the right morality, but it's a morality and it's religion. I I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, people are trying to communicate you can't legislate forced righteousness and that's getting into the weeds, but morality, how, you know, our our stated beliefs system uh, or our, 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 our belief system as it's carried out corporately, I should say, that's the only thing, that's the only thing you legislate. And when you have people in your movement that say, uh, dudes who feel pretty dressing up in, um, outfits that reveal, I don't even know how to, trannies, tran, tra- dudes who feel pretty dressing cross-dressers. up, cross-dressers, yeah. uh, drag queens, uh, performing for children at libraries is a blessing of liberty. Do you think that's a- abandoning the moral high ground just a little bit? 
Just a, a little bit? Do you think a that's skosh. a Just a little bit? A skosh. Just a little bit abandoning the moral high ground that uh, drag queens dressing up for children is is a blessing of liberty. Yeah, that's, that's an example of surrendering the moral high ground. And you go back to the the very beginning of scripture I, I i don't think it can be emphasized enough how even before you get to mankind god is defining his creation reality itself not in neutral terms he calls it good it is moral hmm. reality itself and so it is nothing short of a full-throated attack to claim otherwise and it must be dealt with you cannot you cannot ignore it you cannot simply agree to disagree it we do not have that luxury agreed um there there's a lot of other things that i could find some area of agreement with people even if i vehemently disagree with them on an existential issue this is not one of the gender issues not one of them though because you're asking me from the outset from the very beginning of our conversation i can't get beyond your premise that god made you wrong that's really your premise right that's really your what you're asserting is that you're telling me god is not sinless you're telling me god is not perfect you're telling me god is not omnipotent and not omniscient that with you, he made a mistake, and you had to correct God. Therefore, that makes who God really in this equation? You. That you are superior to God. Well, right away, I'm not allowed to obey or worship anybody else as God. You're already putting yourself in his spot, number one. And then number two, you're asking me to deny the essence of the reality he made. And you're telling me I can't affirm anything else I like about you unless I am willing to do that. I don't know how I get, how do I get beyond those two points? You can't. I cannot. I cannot. If you think you can, that's what I was talking about before. This is going to be really yep. hard for you. If you just get past it, it's going to be much easier to do this. You might, you might not know if you won, but it's going to be easier. Next commandment, number five. Reverse the premise of your opponent's argument and use it against him. I love this commandment. This, the, of all of them, I have the most fun with this one. Because it's, it's really the simplest and easiest way to honor one of the commandments we spent a good deal of time on last hour, never accepting your opponent's premise. And it also ties into the debate that we've been having in this era how much like the left can we become in order to defeat them? Now, I am not in favor of adopting um, their practices and procedures because it, it's like putting on the armor of paganism. But I'm totally in favor of making them actually adopt them. Know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Okay. And so I have I've I'm not interested in 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 the op opponent's playbook. But I'm totally interested in making the opponent live by what they claim to believe. And that's what this commandment does. Like if 
when Hillary Clinton crawls out from whatever puss-infested rock she lives under these days, to say uh, this guy, this conservative figure is a liar. I'm going to probably have to defer to the subject matter expert on dishonesty here. Hillary Clinton knows a lot more about this than most of us do. See what I did there? By all means, I think you're the expert on this one. I kind of have to defer to you on this. It's what Shakespeare used to define as hoisting people by their own or from their own petards. Force them to live by their own assertions. I said earlier, don't accept the premise of your opponent's argument. But in this commandment, make them accept the premise of their own argument. Because most of the time, they don't want to. They just want to use arguments to have power and control over you. So, okay. The new rule is anybody that gets offended, that says something offended, gets canceled. Sure you want to play by those rules? You sure about that? Sure you want to play by the new race rules? You sure about that? Really? You, you, you think you are a, a product of white privilege? Then give up your job to a black person. What, why are you working here? You want to run for office on, you know, you're white and white privilege is a thing? And there should be more minorities in public office? Then why are you running? I wasn't a qualified minority anywhere that can run for this job? Get out. Think the Native Americans were given a bad deal? Turn off your Wi-Fi, man. Head on out to the reservation. Get some wampum. Show us, show us you really truly wish to reject Western civilization and the accoutrements you have received thereof. Show, show me your level of commitment to your own cause before you demand that other people take them seriously. I need to know, do you take yourself seriously? You want more abortion because the world is too crowded? Start with you. Kill yourself. I did an interview for this book with Talk Radio Europe, which is broadcast all over the EU. And the British host on the show tried to take that tact with me. She decided of all the things I wrote about in the book, she wanted to argue with me about abortion. And she made the, all the cases, the, all the Malthusian ethics cases about bringing suffering children into, the, into a world, hunger, etc. And I asked her, I said, have you ever suffered in your own life? Has everything in your life gone the way you had hoped and intended? Of course, her answer was no. So, I'm like, so there's moments you've been, you've been disappointed. There's moments you've been let down by other people. There's moments that you have suffered in this life. She said, yes. 
So I said, why didn't you kill yourself? That's exactly what I said to her. So why didn't you kill yourself then? She was astounded. I said, I'm only asking you to live by your own standard. You think this is why we shouldn't bring these children into the world because of under these circumstances? I want to know, do you really believe that then? Why didn't you kill yourself then? First time you can get the job you wanted. A guy lied to you, broke your heart. Parents divorced. Common ways we suffer in this world, right? Yeah. Why didn't you kill yourself? If life, if life that's going to suffer is the standard for determining which life gets to be lived, you yourself have suffered. Kill yourself. Show me you mean this. Ronald Reagan used to say, I find it fascinating that all of the people that are pro-abortion have already been born. <laughs> right? That's what I'm talking about. I have a ton of fun with this one. I, I, if, if, they could, if you could get paid for just sitting on Twitter all day and reversing people's premises against them, I'd be a much wealthier man. I would just do that full time, I would, even more than this show. I would just sit on social media all day long and reverse premises against them. You know who does this masterfully? Tatiana McGrath. Is it Andrew Doyle, yeah. is the British comedian who mm -hmm. plays her, yeah. portrays her? And all he does is he has created this women's studies woke figure as a Twitter character and just has her reversing all of the premises of ridiculous leftism against itself, but then adopting it as her actual standard to show how stupid it really is. And that Twitter account, man, is a must follow every single day. I will say one thing about this. It, it, social media, and it's so over the top that it, it it's low-hanging fruit oftentimes. The, with more normal people in regular conversation, there you, you do need to be a little bit more patient. They need to they need to put themselves out there and walk into it by you allowing them to talk. I think sometimes uh, people who are too glib with this are just constantly pouncing, and they never really get to the point where the people, uh, the people cornering themselves enough so they can ultimately understand that that's what they did. Mm -hmm. Instead of you just harassing them, you gotta have a degree of humility with this to use it effectively in the non-social media fear that you're talking. I mean, there, social media is a rock fight. I mean, there, what you, and it's so easy to pounce, and rightly so. But if, if there's somebody you care about or somebody who's earnestly trying, sometimes you got to let them follow through their ideas to their logical con conclusion. And sometimes they don't always know where that goes, so you need to be a little patient if you really want this to work. Agreed. Um, I'm talking, though, about, in this case, direct warfare. Oh, yes. Yeah, with people who are stepping to you with an enemy Absolutely. premise is what I'm talking yes. about. But you're right. In, in personal engagements, um, I would... Uh, I would completely agree with what you're talking about because there's a, because if, if it's a, per, if you really want to persuade somebody hoisting them from their own petard should not be the end goal, right? Persuading them should be the yes. end goal. And that's where you have to develop credibility, empathy with another person. But if we're in the, if, if this is political warfare yeah. and we're in the arena yeah. of ideas, then whoever hoists the other from their own petard la first yes. or last loses, Correct. right? Okay. 
And I mentioned Titania McGrath. This is one of my favorite tweets she's ever put out. And I shared this at the time. And as you were talking, I went back into my own archives and found it. Food is sometimes eaten by white supremacists. Restaurants serve food. Ergo, all restaurants are complicit in white supremacy. That is exactly, that's exactly what I'm talking about right there, Aaron. Yes. Yeah. And you, I mean, you have to, you have to hoist them by the, the right petard as well. The, the more preposterous, the more preposterous it is, the more effective it actually is. So when you're talking with, uh, with anybody, um, you know, it, it, the left, our, our opponents have mastered the art of making the insane sound logical. Mm -hmm. Sound logical. The sound is the operative word there. Reversing their premise and then using it against them is an effective way of completely disintegrating the mirage that is their uh, quote-unquote arguments, which is nothing more than than just insanity. And you've mentioned a couple. That one of my favorites is uh, a white person says, America is systemically racist. Well, then where are you getting your food? Where are you getting your... Do you have a house? Do you have an apartment? Do you have an income? Why don't you give all of that up so that uh, uh, somebody, a person of color, can have those opportunities? I once asked a panel on MSNBC... Um, if they've ever gotten a job from a poor person. No hands went up. I said, all my jobs came from rich people too, so why do you want to tax the rich to get more jobs? Silence. The Truth. Straight. No chaser. Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network. Back at it here one final time on the Steve Day Show. It's a special edition looking at my 10 commandments of political warfare here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. We've gone through the first five. Never trust Republicrats. Never attack what you're not willing to kill. Never accept the premise of your opponent's argument. Never surrender the moral high ground and reverse the premise of your opponent's argument and use it against them. We will go through the final five in more rapid-fire fashion, beginning with number six. Never abandon your base unless they're morally wrong. Without a base in politics, you cannot win. You can't win with just your base, but you can't win without one. All right? You can't win without one. And when you abandon your base, you split your own faction. Can't win a two-front war in Napoleon. That's like trying to win a land war in Asia. Can't do it. So when Republicans move left on a key existential issue for their base, that's always when they lose because they have fractured their own base. Classic example, George H.W. Bush running for president in 1988, read my lips, no new taxes, becomes president in 1990, signs into law, the largest tax increase in American history at the time. Splits his own base, New Gingrich leads a revolt against Bob Michael and the House Republican leadership. Now he's got a, a third-party candidate, Ross Perot, who's basically just a Republican who didn't like George H.W. Bush and his economic policies. 
He's split his own base. And Bill Clinton wins with 43% of the popular vote. There we go. Can't make it any plainer than that. No, dance with the one that brung you. Unless they're morally wrong. If your base is morally wrong, then you go with, you know, you go with the principle. But if they're not morally wrong, the principle is you go with your base. I.e. Mitt Romney, eat the chicken sandwich. Eat the chicken sandwich is another great example. That's that's the best I, one in recent years, probably. I want to push back on that, though, because he did get 5% of, or, five, or five, he beat he, he beat Obama by five percentage points of, of the independent vote. So that really paid off for president. It did. Uh, Mitt Romney was the first candidate in modern polling history to win independence and lose the general election. Oh, he lost. Yeah, he okay. lost. Yeah. All right, next commandment we're going to go through. Number seven, define your opponent before they define themselves and define yourself before your opponent defines you. So suppose a buddy of yours, there's a, there's a chick at the bar you like, and your buddy's like, hey, I'll go talk to her for you. You're kind of shy. I'll go talk to her. I'll go talk to you. And he walks up, introduces himself. Now, what he hasn't told you is he likes her too. Okay. So he starts talking about you. He's like, hey, my buddy over here, he still lives at home. Yeah. I mean, everything he's telling her is true. Okay. But the way that he is defining you is not the way you would define yourself. Like, it is true you still live at home. It's true that you dropped out of school. These things are objectively true. But the context of, A, you dropped out of school with a semester left to go in med school because your father died, your mom has Alzheimer's, and so you dropped out of school to get those affairs in order until your sister can take over from here and you can go finish med school next semester. That's also why you're living at home. You're... You put off your medical career to take care of your sick mom. See what I did there? Everything, everything your buddy who likes her too told, told her about you is true. Just not completely true. Now, would you have added more context there? If you wouldn't talk to her yourself, hey, what do you do? Well, you know, my dad recently died. I'm in med school right now. I'm, I'm taking a break to help out my mom and get her affairs in order. She's struggling with Alzheimer's, but I'm hoping my sister can take over here in a few months and I'm going to go finish my residency and uh, become a doctor. Now she's like, wow, driven, compassionate. Where do I sign? Right? Yeah. See what I mean? Who tells your story? And then what, what story do you tell your people about the other side? Why are they always calling us at every turn racist, misogynistic, homophobic, xenophobic bigots? Because that's how they're trying to define you. Why did they give Donald Trump, according to Media Research Center, 60 times more press coverage in the 2016 primary than all the other candidates? Because they wanted him to be the nominee. The whole plan was to label Trump as the nominee, get him to say a bunch of dumb incendiary things, and then they can then brand us for the rest of our careers as the people they've been trying to, uh, to label us since the 90s. Now, it just so happened on the, their master plan backfired on him and Trump won that election, all right? But they're always trying to define us. 
we need to define ourselves before they get away with defining us. But then we need to define them. It's, it's, it's not biased journalism. It's fake news. See the difference there? You are, you are not assenting to the premise that it's journalism on any level. Like these aren't people who are good at their jobs. They just have a political bent. Nope. This is just, it's myopic narrative casting from the outset. From the outset. And we're going to define it as that. Because in your myopic narrative casting, you're going to define me as your straw man. Check the box on every straw man you want if I don't, right? Yes. There we go. Commandment number eight. Always make your opponent defend their record and belief system. Always. One of the most powerful ways I helped in the retention election in Iowa back in 2010, when we threw the judges out, is I would force the other side of the argument to defend their own record and belief system. All right, hey, you know what? You guys, you no longer want laws based on God's Ten Commandments like the country was founded on? I get it. What do you want the law to be based on? What's your definition of law then? I, I gave you mine. You don't have to like it. It's a free country. You're right. You don't have to agree with me. What's yours? How do you know that definition is right? You want an evolving standard? What are we evolving to? What's the end game of evolution? What, what are we, where are we going? How will we know when we get there? If you can't tell me that, then how do you know the standard you have right now that you want to enforce on the rest of us a year, 10 years, 20 years from now, you won't evolve and realize that you were dumb here now. So, it's, so you're wrong already. How do you know this? Why do we always have to be on the defensive? In a trial, both sides, the prosecution and the defense, gets to call witnesses, folks. Both sides get to conduct a cross-examination of the others, witnesses, right? Yes, we don't get to escape being cross-examined. We don't get to escape hostile questioning. I agree. I just want to know why we let them get away with it. Where do you want the country to go then? You think we're trying to take the country back to the oppressive 1950s where Mad Men was essentially, uh, where, where, where was supposedly every boardroom and living room in America? Where every guy got away with chain smoking, snapping bra straps, and panty raids. Okay. Where do you want to take us then? Everything's, every school's drag queen story time hour? You defend. Tell us what you want. They're really good at attacking us. Not so good at defending themselves. So why don't we make them do it more? Todd? Well, they've learned that their emotion, and obviously now it's dialed up to 11, but they, they've learned that that's their trick against us. People feel they can't even get to that point because they feel so on the ropes. And again, that's why I've stressed with the several of the, these points. You know, you got to understand that these, I think early on, you think that this is like Jedi level 
you're you're going to make your job easier by following all of these points. If this is not the master's class, this is 101. If you accept it and use them, the whole I, I, I'm just repeating myself, but the whole process becomes easier. Don't think of this as these are fundamentals you have to have no matter who you are. They are not just the Jedi level coursework. Another way to think about this, make your opponent constantly do the answering, not the talking, the answering. Yes. Uh, because what's implied in that is that you're on offense right now. You're putting them on the defensive. You should be doing a heck of a lot less answering. A lot more when, when, you, when you're doing the actual talking and the communicating, you should be doing a lot more uh, going on offense, reversing their premise, using it against them. And then when they're talking, they should be doing a heck of a lot more and using their time to do a heck of a lot more answering than actually talking and attacking you if you're effective. That is well said. Let's get to commandment number nine. Stay on message. Um, I, there was there was a week in the 2020 election. I was just very frustrated. Remember, The Atlantic had written this hit piece about Donald Trump and what he had said about McCain. And so who yep. does no one cares? Well, no one whose votes matter the most cares. Inside baseball, inside the media, we care. But, you know, The Atlantic did a piece on me like 10 years ago. I tried to share it with my family. I was very proud. They're like, what the hell is The Atlantic? They didn't know. We're from Iowa. What the hell's The Atlantic? It's an ocean. They got a paper over there? How do they print a paper from the Atlantic? They don't know. Don't care. Well, it just so happened that this piece coincided with massive economic recovery news at the tail end of the pandemic. You guys remember this? Unemployment rate fell way below 10%. The economy had recovered half the jobs it had lost in 2020 during the shutdowns before Labor Day. Hell, we would have thought that was great by the end of the year, right? We hit it by Labor Day. We just allowed that story to get memory hold and just did a week of counters to an Atlantic piece about some obscure thing Trump may or may not have said in 2017 instead. The Thursday before Labor Day, huh? Yeah, just and just got totally off message. How many the person that goes into the voting booth on on election day wondering if Donald Trump said this obscure thing in the Atlantic? three years ago about the military is not that person wondering that isn't voting for Trump. Right. Right. The person that's like, Hey man, I heard we got, we brought back half the jobs and we're under 10% unemployment again. And the economy's booming. That person's far more likely to vote for Trump. Right. Yes. So which message is yours? The latter, right? Yeah. That's your message. That's your message. But we got off message, right? Coming out of the convention, right? With Trump surging in the polls and everything else, a bunch of people got off message. And here we are. Off message. This happens all the time. It's like the dog in, in, in up, squirrel, squirrel, squirrel. We, we, we spend way too much time reacting to what the left message is as opposed to advancing our own message. And that brings us to the final of our 10 commandments of political warfare. Play offense. Too much as conservatives, we are, a, we are reactionary tactically. 
they come up with some crazed, crazed depravity, and we react to it. Why? We come up with a plan to privatize Social Security. Are they reacting to it? No, they're just promoting their crazed depravity. Aaron, oh, uh, or uh, they came up. They come up with uh, their crazed depravity, and we come up with our conserved crazed depravity. Conservative, I'm sure. Yeah. I, I oh yes, say. our facsimile yeah. version, knockoff mm-hmm. version. Yes, correct. No, no, we need to play offense. Offense does a couple of things. Number one, wins. Okay, as Patton once said, you don't win a war by dying for your country, folks. You win a war by making the other poor SOB die for his. All right, so offense wins. That's number one. Um, typically, the side delivering the blow beats the side receiving it, typically. The second thing it does, though, is it lifts the morale of your own troops, your own side. When they see you on, when they see you on offense, it inspires them that victory is achievable, as opposed to when they see you back on your heels. We play way too much defense, not nearly enough offense. All of these tactics, and this is why this is the very last one, all of these tactics are ultimately designed to accomplish a singular goal, the very last commandment, to put us on offense. Now, as we finish these, in our final couple of minutes, gentlemen, your closing thoughts. Well, if you end up playing offense and have successfully employed these, you have ultimately embodied an ancient mandate. Know thyself. That, that, that's the point of this. If you are always off message, uh, if you are so easily distracted, you are simply conceding that the opponent is the one who knows and understands the terms of this game you got your inso- yourself involved in far better than you are. If you know thyself through these commandments, no matter what comes your way, no matter what storms uh, that bring genuine trials and tribulations or peacetime, which gets you lazy and soft, you will have that core that'll see your way through. Um, and that's important. And if you don't, what did you just say about be somebody, Steve, uh, earlier in this episode? Either versus, to do something or be yeah, somebody. Well, that's why people run for office. Yep. That's a summary. Know thyself. You will be actively doing something through thick and thin no matter what. And more likely than not, be a winner in the end. And at the end of the day, um, this all comes down to whether you want it, whether you want it or not. I mean, this goes back to the Cheez-Its versus steak conversations you and Daniel Horowitz had back post-2016. You know, do you want to win or do you want anti-CNN memes? Well, if you want to win, the handbook is here. If you want anti-CNN memes, you'll... We've got them. I mean, we'll we'll gladly produce them into oblivion, uh, literally speaking. Uh, there's going to be a lot more where those come from, but the the, the sooner everyone in this audience uh, and elsewhere, all conservatives of all stripes, start following these rules, these Ten Commandments for political warfare, the sooner the people you elect, and the sooner the people that represent you will start doing the same. Hope you guys had a great time. We certainly did. Thanks for tuning in here today on Blaze TV. Until the next time, John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.